I told Alyssa, when I was um, uh, program chairman of the Dallas Calligraphy Society, I got to pick who we would have come teach us workshops, different people around the country. And I would always ask them, what are you most passionate about? Because that's what I want you to teach us. Because we always got the best teaching out of, you know, when someone is speaking from their heart as well as out of their head, and in our case, as calligraphers, out of our hands. But um, let me just tell you, I am passionate about raising gender-healthy kids. I've had the privilege of working with um, a ministry in the Dallas-Fort Worth area for about 10 years that helps people deal with unwanted homosexuality. I have watched so many lives changed as people bring um, their unwanted same-sex attractions to Jesus Christ and watch him change things. And we've learned a lot in the process about how... um, how that can be prevented, and a big part of it is helping children to feel um, happy about who they are. When we, when we cherish our children's gender um, and support it and celebrate that girls are girls and boys are boys, it results in a healthy self-concept. We want our kids to feel good about themselves because God is the one who chose for little girls to be little girls and little boys to be little boys. And when they feel comfortable about who they are and the wide spectrum of what it means to be a boy, what it means to be a girl, then they can accept the goodness of the gender that God chose for them. And this can be a very important part of preventing homosexuality. Um, it's very un-PC to say that homosexuality can be prevented, but it can. And particularly if we're thinking about gender identity confusion with um, with those that aren't entirely sure that it's a good thing to be a girl or to be a boy, don't feel comfortable in the world of men or of women, we can start from the time our kids are little bitty to help celebrate who they are as God made them. And so what I want to share with you this morning is um, ways in which it's easier to raise a healthy child than to repair an adult by um, teaching you things that we've learned over the years about the good design of a, being a boy, being a girl, and some of God's rules for marriage and family that will result in our children being secure in themselves, in our families, who they are as God made them to be. Um, the first thing I want to share with you is probably the most important thing about the gender spectrum. And if you don't take anything else home from you, home today, except this, that will be okay. Because this is something God showed me a number of years ago, and it has been a major light bulb moment for thousands of um, parents as I've, over the years of, as I've had a chance to talk about this. You often hear that, you know, of a gender spectrum with masculinity on one end and femininity on the other and um, everything in between. And so we hear men being encouraged to get in touch with their feminine side. Interestingly, I don't hear women being challenged to get in in touch with their masculine side. Um, But I don't think that's a viable way of understanding God's creation because in Genesis 1, When we are told how God created, it says God made them male and female. And what I've seen by watching, I've been a people watcher for many, many years. 
Um, what I see is that there is one gender spectrum for masculinity and a separate gender spectrum for femininity. And children are born at whatever point on this spectrum God pleases for them. Um, it, and he chooses where they end up, where they start out, I should say, on this gender spectrum because it's just right for who they are, who God made them to be, what his plans are for their lives, how he wants to enhance his body, how he wants to enhance the world. So when we give birth to children, they come out of the womb at some point on a, a gender spectrum. Now with boys, on one end of the gender spectrum are your rough and tumble, all-American, um, what we think of as the typically masculine boy who is super athletic loves balls, any kind of, you know, things that will allow him to be moving and climbing trees and getting dirty and getting out there and, and playing any kind of sport. They tend to be more emotionally insensitive. Um, they're just blocking their way through life. On the other end of the spectrum, um, a much smaller number, but nonetheless extremely important, are emotionally sensitive, creative, artistic, the musical boys, these are very, very sensitive to what's going on around them in terms of um, emotions and feelings. They're very, we could go downstairs into where your children are being cared for, and especially with the three and four-year-olds, we can identify these little boys as the emotionally sensitive ones, because those are the ones that if somebody starts to cry, they drop what they're doing and go over and go, you okay, you okay, and they start patting them, and they're just always aware of what's going on around them. Some of these are physically sensitive as well. Some, do any of you have children that can't stand tags on the back of their necks? They're very aware of the fabrics that you want to put them in. I know of, I have a friend that when she started buying shoes for her, her child, 18 months old, pre-verbal, um, they brought several pairs of shoes to him, and he, wouldn't, he didn't want them to, to put them on his feet. First, he would pick them up and sniff into the shoe and just throw it aside and pick up another one and sniff. And when he finally found one that he liked and said, you know, basically, you can put this on my feet, it was... The it was the leather one. He didn't want the vinyl, the man-made fabrics. It had to be the real thing. And he is now a very successful doctor, great husband, father, exquisite taste, and um, <laughs> only wears the best fabrics on his, in his suits and all this stuff. You know, he's just super sensitive that way. So on this end of the spectrum, these super sensitive, especially the emotionally sensitive boys, these are boys who are going to cry much more easily and are going to be, moms are going to be very attuned to you. You know, mommy, how are you doing? Um, the problem with our understanding of masculinity is that in our culture, we have a predisposition against recognizing that as legitimate masculinity. And see, these little boys can easily be called names and um, other boys and sometimes their dads, you know, hey, come on, man up. And how a three-year-old is supposed to man up, I don't know. But, um, but they, they are not accepted as being fully masculine because of their sensitivity. And let me just tell you that at Living Hope Ministries, where I've 
ministered to um, lots of people over the years with, uh, like I said, unwanted homosexuality. Every single one of the men who has, uh, of the thousands that have come to the ministry, every single one of them has been in the emotionally sensitive camp. Um, it doesn't, we're not saying that if a boy is emotionally sensitive that he's going to grow up to be gay. Not at all. Um, because when these boys are supported in their masculinity, supported as the gift that they are, understanding that these, these guys on this end of the spectrum are especially gifted, when they grow up to celebrate who they are, they become the most amazing pastors and counselors, not to mention husbands and fathers. My husband and one of my sons is from this end. What an incredible blessing to have those men in my life. And so um, just want you to know this is a legitimate type of masculinity. We need to support it and not say there's something wrong with you. Interestingly, um, as boys grow emotionally and especially spiritually, they start taking up more bandwidth on this gender spectrum. And so the ones, the rough and tumble ones on this end, um, as they start growing older and wiser, growing spiritually and emotionally, they'll start getting some more sensitivity. They start, you know, take, it's not that they change who they are, they just become a fuller human being. I would suggest that Jesus Christ was the entire spectrum all at once. You know, he was uh, rough and tumble. He was a man's man. And Peter just, you know, went nuts over him. And at the other hand, other end of the spectrum, he loved, was loved by women and children. Creative. He's the creator of the universe. That pretty much nails it. You know, he was the whole thing all at once. What I'm suggesting to you in terms of raising gender-secure children is... No matter where your son is on this gender spectrum, we need to support him and encourage him and say, this is the kind of boy that God chose for you to be. That's an awesome thing. God's got big plans for you no matter what you're like, no matter where you are on this spectrum. There's a lot of people in the middle, too, you know, who have elements of both sides. Um, and, and there's nothing, there's no specific measuring tool to know, you know where they are. It's just kind of a good idea to keep in mind in terms of, appreciating and accepting our children as they are. Now, with the femininity spectrum, on one end, you've got the girly girl, the girls who come out of the womb saying, can I have a pink receiving blanket, please? And I want one of those little foo-foo things that go around my head and put the little flower on my little bald head. And, and when they're four, they're asking you to paint their nails. And they love to wear dresses and tights. I knew of one little girl that felt beautiful in a velvet dress with tights. And even in August, she would want to wear it because she felt beautiful in this dress. So they're the girly girls. And on the other end of the spectrum, and you know who you are, are the tomboy jockettes, the ones who came out of the womb allergic to pink. Um, many times you don't even want to have anything to do with makeup. And you'd rather climb trees with the boys than play Barbie dolls. And that's great. If that's who God made you to be, then that is be the best girl you can be because this is God's choice. On the one end, you know, you've got the, the, the foo-foo feminine ones. Our culture says this is what femininity is. And I would suggest that God says, oh, no, it's a lot broader spectrum than that. The tomboy jockettes on this end tend to be very gifted physically, um, great athletes, natural-born leaders, passionate 
again, very gifted down in this end of the, the spectrum. And when these girls are supported in the type of femininity that they have, they, they grow up to be the most delightful women, um, leaders of women, great mothers of boys, ministers to boys, and you know, can fit in in a lot of places. Interestingly, I've, I've had a number of conversations with women who came out of the womb as tomboys and yet don't struggle in, in any way with their gender identity or homosexuality or anything like that. And, and every single one of them told me the same thing. Um, my parents supported me as my design was. They let me be the, the tomboy girl that I was and said, it's great that you are who you are. We're totally behind you. And then they also insisted that I learn how to do the ladylike things because you have to learn how to put on a dress and how to act like a lady. But you can go home and take the dress off and put your sweats on and your ball cap. You can do that when you go home. Grown-ups are constantly having to wear things that they don't want to wear, but they get to go home and change clothes. But I know of, uh, I was speaking on this to a group of preschool mothers, and um, they were talking about a little girl in their preschool who hated being a girl, insisted that she be treated like a boy, and as a matter of fact, when one of the preschool teachers got married, she insisted that they, um, as all the kids were part of the wedding, that she was not going to wear a dress, that they needed to get her a little boy's um, suit to wear. And the mother capitulated because she was buying into the lie that, oh, I guess my kid is gay. So, you know, this four-year-old was getting to, to determine, you know, what her parents were doing and, and how they were responding to that. They, they were not doing her any favors to feed the illusion that even though God made you a girl, that you can be a boy. They needed to help her deal with why are you thinking it's not okay to be a girl. So this is huge about this gender spectrum, about how important it is to identify where kids are on it and help them celebrate who they are, that the way God made you is just the way he wanted you to be and celebrate it and accept it and not, um, not buy into anything, any of the lies that say that one kind of masculinity or femininity is better or worse than another. Let me spend some time talking about gender differences, um, about the differences between boys and girls that hit the, the cultural landscape in John Gray's book, Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus. Even if you haven't read the book, you've you're probably aware of that phrase because it's just become part of the cultural vernacular. And let me just tell you that while John Gray is not a believer, um, he is a counselor and he is, has been an observer of people over the years. He has a lot of good things to say in his book, Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus. And I know of several marriage counselors. That is the first book that they have people read just so you get a, gri a grip on the opposite sex because we are so different. God made us to be different. Our gender differences are designed by God. It is not that little boys and girls come out of the womb and they are blank slates and we write on them whatever we want. Personally, I think that whoever came up with that idea has never had children or been around children because you know as parents that children come out of the womb and they are a gift package to be unwrapped and they, they've got things going on in them that we did not put there. God put there. Um, Apart from, um, there's so many arguments 
points to be made in terms of that argument, but, but for example, have you ever known identical twins? Would, did they have the exact same personality? They have the exact same DNA, but they have different personalities. They have different gift sets. They have different temperaments. And that's because God makes children um, according to his design, and it's, it's just who he wants them to be. Children are designed by God. Let me go through quickly some of the, um, the differences between boys and girls. Boys get their sense of self from achievement. They are wired to be self-reliant. It's all about, I do it. I mean, that was one of my son's first whole sentences was, I do it. Actually, I think it came out, me do it. But, um, but it's about doing things without help. And... This is, this is an ordained by God sort of thing because little boys grow up to be men who need to be able to do things on their own. You think about when the settlers were pushing into the western United States, they couldn't go to 7-Eleven and say, excuse me, can you help me figure out how to get through the Rocky Mountains to get to Seattle? You know, they had to figure it out on their own. And so there's, it's, it's part of masculinity to want to do things without assistance. And that's why little boys grow up to be men who won't ask for directions, um, won't ask for help in a store. How do I find the canned peas? You know, there are more brownie points if I find it myself. Wise men understand that when you are under some time constraints, it really they don't ask you to hand back your man card if you ask for help. But um, but it's part of the warp and woof of being mas masculine is to want to do things on your own. Whereas girls get their sense of self from relationships, from doing things with people, from knitting our hearts together with others. We are very relational. And that makes sense. Little most little girls grow up to be mommies, and mommies need to be extremely relational with their babies in order to give them a good grounding in emotional health. And so um, the best way to work with a girl is to do things with her because everything is about relationships and doing things with people. The best way to minister to the heart of a boy is to honor his design to want to do things on his own. I wish I had known this when my kids were toddlers because being the relational, helpful mom, I was constantly saying, you want mommy to help you with that? And what I didn't understand at that time was my little boys did not hear, I love you and I want to be a part of your day right now. What they heard was, you are such a loser, you can't figure this out on your own. And they felt dishonored when I was offering them unsolicited help. I didn't know that until a number of years later. I, those are the, the kinds of things that I would love to go back and redo, which is one of the reasons God gives us grandchildren, which I don't have any yet, but... Lord willing, when we're at that point, I will not be offering help before it's time. The best thing to do with a boy is to say, let's see how far you can get on your own. And if you start getting that, that uh-oh feeling inside, that frustrated feeling inside, then you can ask for help. But let's see what you can do by yourself. And that honors the design of a boy to be self-reliant and do things on his own. Um, another way that boys and girls are different is that boys are linear in their thinking. They focus on one thing at a time, whereas girls are multitaskers, and that's because our brains are different. Um, boys can only handle 
usually one thing at a time. They focus on one task or one subject at a time. And the reason for this is that there is a difference in the male brain and the female brain. At about six weeks into the gestational process, a little boy's brain gets a hormone bath. And um, these hormones flood his brain and make a very profound change. There is a band of neural fibers that connects the right and the left hemispheres called the corpus callosum. And it looks kind of like one of those flat uh, ribbons that you see inside a computer. And it allows the right and the left hemispheres to communicate with each other. In a little boy, when they get this hormone bath, it breaks down a whole bunch of the connections between the right and the left hemispheres, meaning that activity in the brain is, is limited to one side of the brain or the other at a time. So when they fire up all these um, um, connectors to a boy's head and start noticing what's happening in a brain when a boy is thinking. You see this firestorm of activity in one part, and then he thinks about something else, and another part of his brain will light up. But that's not what happens in a girl's brain. Um, girls' brains have the full corpus callosum just talking, 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 all this crosstalk between the hemispheres constantly. And we're able to use our entire brain all at the same time, meaning that that's why we're able to multitask, but we're constantly using all the different parts of our brain, and it means that we're, we think differently than men do, and we cannot explain why we arrived at the conclusion we did. For men, it's very analytical and very linear. I started with A, and I went to B and C and D, and I ended up at E. Now, as women, we can start at A, go to F, then the F, then the G, and end up at E. And if somebody says, how did you arrive at your conclusion? And we'd say, I don't know. You know, that's kind of where the feminine intuition thing comes from. But it's our, the fact that our brains work differently. And that's why, because boys are linear in their thinking, they can't hold a lot of thoughts at the same time. Don't frustrate your sons by throwing a whole bunch of orders at them or commands. You know, I, first I want you to clean your room, and then I want you to choose what you want for lunch tomorrow, and, and then get your lunchbox ready, blah, blah, blah. You throw all these things at them, and they'll just implode. They can't handle a whole bunch of things all at once. It's not that they're brain damaged or that it's lesser than. It's just that God gives strength to boys and men that we don't have, just as we have strengths that boys and men don't have. My husband has pointed out that because um, of this brain difference in men, they're able to bring 100% of their attentions to bear on one thing at a time. He said, if I'm ever going to have brain surgery, I'm probably going to want a male surgeon who is only thinking about my brain and not... For example, our, our family doctor is a woman who's able to be thinking on multiple levels at the same time. He said, if someone's operating on my brain, I don't want her thinking about what she's going to make for dinner that night. You know, I just want just this concentration right here. And by the way, that's one of the reasons that dads are so powerful in the way that they give attention to their children because the attention is all on the kids. They're not splitting it among a million different things. And children tend to just 
thrive under their dad's attention because they know daddy is concentrating fully on me right now. That's huge. That's something that I had to learn the hard way when I missed every single soccer goal and assist because I was on on the sidelines talking with other soccer moms, you know, and I missed every single thing our kids did on this on the field, but my my husband was standing down at the, on the sidelines watching our boys play. And that was one of the things that they've recently told them is, Dad, I loved it that at every single game I could look over and see you watching me. And I knew that you were paying attention to only me. I loved that. So that, that is a, that's a great gender difference between boys and girls. Another difference is that boys are competitive and girls are cooperative. Now, Part of the competition thing in boys is the higher testosterone level that is just a natural part of God's design for boys. Moms, just know that when you have a boy, to look at a boy is to see a contest, okay? They're just, they're highly competitive. Most boys are very highly competitive. And use that to your advantage. One of the best things that you can use as a parenting tool is a kitchen timer, that especially when you crank it up, if, if it's making noise, all the better, rather than a silent digital clock, you know, to say, okay, can you beat the clock in picking up your, your toys here? Help, the, um, help that competitive nature pull the best out in them. That's one of the reasons I think God puts it in boys. Scripture says, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Competition is the best way, is, is the best way to get the best out of most boys. Girls tend not to be as competitive, although this is, I'm obviously speaking in very broad strokes, because some of you are very competitive women, but but generally, because we're so relational and, and uh, we, so compare, uh, we care about our relationships with people, we're not so much about co- competitive as cooperative. We, we care about what's happening in our relationships and how can I, you know, remain friends with you and I don't want to fight against you. And um, as a matter of fact, that's one of the reasons why a lot of us just don't play games. When, when my husband and I do a, a guys are from Mars, girls are from Venus talk together, he always says, guys, what's the only reason to play a board game? Let me just ask you, why is it? To win, absolutely. And I'm looking at that going, I refuse to play risk with you because the point of risk to win is to wipe everybody else off the board. And I'm going to have problems in my relationship with you for the rest of the day if you try to wipe me off the board. So I do not play board games with my husband. As a matter of fact, one time at our previous church, there was a, uh, they had written a, a drama at the beginning of a, service, uh, at a sermon on marriage where a husband and a wife were sitting there playing Monopoly. And the wife landed on boardwalk, and she didn't buy it. She shouldn't buy the property. And the husband said, why would you not buy boardwalk? And she said, because I'm only collecting the secondary colors. <laughs> and he said, why would you collect the secondary colors? You can't win collecting the secondary colors. And she goes, oh, I don't care about winning. I'm playing just to have something to do so we can spend time together. 
And he said, it is no fun playing with somebody who's not playing to win. And she's like, I don't care about winning. I just like being with you. And it so totally frustrated this guy. Why would I want to play a game with somebody who doesn't care about winning? Well, that's the competitive side, and she was showing her cooperative side. So just know that, that to see a boy is to see a contest. That's, there's nothing wrong with that. It is um, the reason why so many boys are very frustrated in school when people from a very feminine or feminist mindset say, all competition is wrong. It's, some of them even say it's evil. Um, and so they, in some schools, they've done away with playground recess because kids will play games and somebody has to win and somebody loses and losing is painful. And so, you know, we don't want to have games on the, on the playground. And then there are some soccer places, uh, soccer teams, that have done away with scorekeeping because, you know, we don't want... If somebody wins, that that means somebody loses, and losing is a bad thing because we don't want people to feel bad and their self-esteem, you know, might be hurt. Well, what's the point of playing if you're not keeping score? That, that's crazy. And, and boys just kind of drop off the radar screen because their design is not being honored. So understand, there's nothing wrong with the competitive design of a boy. Use it to your advantage to help bring the best out in him. Another gender difference between boys and girls is that boys are action-oriented where girls are verbally oriented. Part of the, the reason that boys are so much um, more about action than, verb, than being verbal, again, their design, um, that higher testosterone level means there's a lot of energy inside of a boy's body. Um, as a matter of fact, uh, let me give you a heads up. As your boys hit puberty, all that testosterone and that masculine energy inside is going to be ramped up because there's a 600% increase in hormones. And all that energy is going to start feeling like anger, but they don't, it's not anger because they don't know who they're angry with. They're just all upset inside. And it's very frustrating to be um, a middle school and teenage boy with all these feelings of anger when you don't know why you're mad. It is, that's because it's not really anger. It's just energy that's coming and it's rising up to the surface. Boys tend to be much more action-oriented. So if we brought a bunch of boys in here and said, excuse me, I want you to go from this wall to the back, um, many of them would zigzag their way through the room and, you know, why take a direct path from here to there if I can take the circuitous route to get there? And if we said, okay, sit in the chair, they'd throw themselves into the chair because it's an opportunity to explode with energy. That's just the way that they are. Now, not all boys are like that, but many, many of them are. They're just action-oriented. God made them that way. Whereas girls tend to be more verbal. Girls generate three times as many words per day as boys. They grow up to be women, for who, for the most part, generate three times as many words per day as men. And this is why, ladies, I'm so glad you're here at Building Blocks, that you are developing friendships and relationships with other women, because your ability to pump out words per day is greater than your husband's ability to hear them. Okay, so he's got a smaller bucket for receiving your words than another woman would. So it's so important for you to have relationships with other women so you can talk and call people and, because we process verbally 
we don't think it through by ourselves off in a cave somewhere. We tend to use words to wrap around our thoughts and our feelings. We process verbally. We share with each other using words. And it's just part of being a female. Again, we can see the wisdom of God's design here because mommies are the ones who care for babies in those first few years. And when children need to learn how to talk, they do that by swimming in a sea of words. They need to be continually surrounded by words, which is effortless for most of us as women. Um, that's what, putting children in front of the TV is not going to teach them how to, how to talk. They need to be interacting with us. It makes total sense that we would be so much more verbal than most men. And so it's very important, too, that you honor your husband's design, that if he's like most men, he isn't anywhere near as verbal as you, and he doesn't have the capacity to listen to all those words either. So we need to be um, honoring the fact that they can go into word overload real, real easily. And let me just tell you something as a Titus II woman to younger women. One of the things that men really appreciate because of their design as men, when we are communicating with them, they want to hear the bottom line first. When you're sharing a story with a woman, you can unfold your story in all its glorious detail, one baby step at a time. But with men, most men do not appreciate that. They want to know the bottom line. Okay, our son broke his arm, had to take him to the emergency room. He's going to be fine. Start there. Do not start with, so something interesting happened when our son was climbing the tree today. <laughs> start with the bottom line. And so he has the big picture and then give details as needed. But understand the glorious detail in men do not generally go together. Another gender difference is how these um, designs of boys and girls end up with hostility. When boys feel hostile, they show it physically. They're going to want to punch or kick or bite or scratch or do something to give um, physical manifestation to the hostility and all this energy that they're feeling inside. Whereas when girls feel hostile, because girls are so much more verbal than boys, they're probably going to use their tongue. Let me just ask, is there anybody besides me in this room still carrying the scars of what some junior high girl said to you many, many years ago? Because girls' tongues can unleash so much more damage than a, a punch, you know, when you're a kid. It is, it is incredibly damaging what we can do with our tongues, which is why the Bible talks about, you know, well, James says that the tongue was set on fire by hell itself. And as your girls grow into junior high age, I would strongly suggest you take them through the book of Proverbs, give them a highlighter, and have them mark every verse that refers to the tongue or to speech. Because the capacity to do lasting damage is incredibly great with our mouths. So understand that this is where hostility is going to come out, and it needs to be controlled and tempered. People need to, they need to be told about the end result down the road of just unleashing their anger and hostility. 
kids will not be able to see the long-term consequences of today's choices. That's the last part of the brain to gel, and it doesn't happen until around age 25. So that's one of the reasons it's so important for us to teach and mentor our children well, um, is to help them see the long-term consequences of today's choices. The... um, The final gender difference that I want to share with you is about how boys and girls nurture differently. Girls tend to be empathetic nurturers. And when I say nurturing to you, it's probably what comes to mind to you as women. It's the kind of tender, giving comfort, being very gentle. Um, If someone has fallen down and hurt themselves or somebody is in tears, we want to give them a hug and and pat them gently and let them know, I'm listening, I care, I'm so sorry that you're hurting. And that's empathetic nurturing. Often we think that is the only kind of nurturing that there is. But there's another kind of nurturing extremely important for boys to learn how to be boys and to grow up to be healthy men. And that's aggression nurturing that men naturally give to their sons and that boys often do to other boys. And it's because a boy is um, not as emotionally sensitive as a girl. Um, Even emotionally sensitive boys are not girls. They're not like girls. They're boys. And when boys um, nurture each other aggressively, it's about doing things like when you see boys chest bump each other or... Um, elementary school boys will jostle each other in the hall and, you know, a dad will come along and punch his son in the biceps. You see it all the time on NCIS, okay? Jethro Gibbs comes along. What does he do with the male members of his team to show his affection? He slaps him in the head, which if you've never seen the show, that probably sounds terribly hostile and violent, but it's, it's actually a display of affection and it's affirmation. It's how guys affirm each other. And they do it verbally as well. Um, often, and this is where they need some sharpening of verbal skills, because often a guy will try to help another guy be a better guy, and so they'll say things like, you're such a girl, you're such a wuss. And basically what they're saying is, They're trying to help them develop a thicker skin, which boys need. They need to not be three-year-old crybabies for the rest of their lives. They need to learn how to um, not lose their sensitivity if they're sensitive, but also to have some self-control and not burst into tears all the time. They need to learn how to develop a thicker skin. And so boys are going to nurture each other, and men are going to nurture boys differently than women do. Don't be shocked when your sons nurture each other that way and they are physically aggressive toward each other. Um, it's, it's a boy's way of saying this is what it means to be in the world of boys. It's a man's way of saying this is what it means to be in the world of men. Now, there is a line that needs to be honored between aggression nurturing this legitimate and simply being mean or bullying or dishonoring somebody, calling somebody names, Hurtful names is never okay. It's hurtful. It really causes deep wounds. But, for example, when a dad calls his son's words like champ and tiger and, you know, 
you can do this. I know you can do this, buddy. You know, those kinds of names, those terms of endearment are, that's aggression nurturing. Um, and it's, it's a, in a very positive way. Name calling is never okay if it's ugly and hurtful. And uh, let me just tell you that with being involved in homosexual ministry, I don't know very many guys who don't, who still don't have wounds on their souls from being called names as early as like second and third grade. Where they pick it up, I don't know, um, although homosexuality is such a part of our culture now. But, you know, when you call a third grader, you know, you're queer, you're homo, you know, you're you're such a wuss, that that kind of thing. Um, It's hurtful because they don't know what that means. They just know that it's bad. And when people cause each other to feel bad about themselves, that's not okay. So just... It, it takes some listening to, to start appreciating what is positive and what is negative. Just want you to know that boys nurture each other different than girls. Men, dads are going to nurture each other differently than moms. Interestingly, though, dads are usually pretty good about being very careful about the aggression nurturing with daughters. It's inappropriate to treat a little girl the same way you treat a little boy. You don't body tackle a little girl. You know, you, you want to honor the fact that the Bible says that, that, um, that we are the weaker vessel. That's talking about physical weakness, not emotional or spiritual weakness. We are weaker vessels. Girls need to be treated like a fine china cup. And so it's inappropriate to treat them the exact same way as boys. Most dads don't have a problem with that, though. Another way that's really important to raise gender-secure kids is to follow God's rules for marriage and family. And this is one of the things that I am delighted to share with you as someone who has been thrilled to be in a very healthy, loving marriage for 36 years. Um, We've lived these rules. I've seen what happens when people follow them and what happens when people don't follow them. These really do work. Um, God's ways are always the best. First of all, um, both husband and wife need to have clearly defined roles. It is not true that men and women are interchangeable, that mothers and fathers are interchangeable. It matters who stays home with kids. And that's why I'm delighted you're able to be here. Not everybody is able to be at home with kids on an everyday basis. But mothers and fathers parent differently. And we need as much to spend as much time with our children as we possibly can and not try to be um, gender neutral in how we parent. Mommies and daddies love children differently, and they need to receive that attention, affection, and affirmation, those three A's that are so important. They receive that differently from mothers and fathers. We are not interchangeable. There are distinct roles that Scripture talks about and that certainly work out in real life. Um, And that those roles are rooted in the fact that being masculine is different from being feminine. About masculinity, the, what, the, the, the basis of masculinity is that it's about initiating. Um, and it's, it's not that women should never come up with ideas first, but in order for men to reject passivity and be proactive and be initiators and be um, 
on the front line in terms of leading their families, leading their, their wives. It's important for, for men to initiate. Ladies, I just really want to encourage you to be sensitive to anything that your husband does to try to initiate. He needs to be encouraged by that, by the, getting the idea that if you initiate, I will follow, or at least at the very least, I will seriously listen to what you have to say and, and talk with you about it. Men need to be um, encouraged in their attempts at initiation. And most guys are really afraid of rejection. That is the huge fear at the core of any boy or any man is rejection. And if they try to initiate and we reject it or we pretend like it didn't happen or we refuse to follow, they're not going to keep trying. They're going to retreat into passivity. And bad things happen when men are passive. So it's so important that you honor every single attempt to lead and to initiate um, because a lot of our guys are not knowing how to initiate, how to be godly husbands and fathers because they didn't see it in their own dads. The epidemic of fatherlessness in our culture means that so many boys and men are growing up without any idea of what healthy masculinity looks like because daddy just wasn't around. And so they're trying to figure this out on their own. Um, it's one of the reasons why it's so important that God wants us in community, is they can watch other guys. How do people in my community group, how do guys in my community group deal with their wives? Or how do, how do other men deal with their children or deal with other men? They have to pattern themselves after others because they didn't get it from dad. And so it's hard. It's hard to be a man in today's culture particularly, you know, people under 35. So please support them in whatever efforts they make to initiate. The glory of masculinity is strength. And um, boys and girls need to see masculinity as showing strength in protecting and providing. To protect and to provide are two of the basic essences of what it means to be masculine. Um, it's how God deals with us. He protects us. He provides for us. And, and the, the father and the husband in a family is God's face of being protector and provider. Boys, need to, boys and girls need to see the glory of masculinity through the dad. They need to see the glory of femininity in the mom. And the essence of femininity is to be a responder. The essence of masculinity is to be an initiator for femininity is to be a responder. And where the, the glory of masculinity is strength, the glory of femininity is beauty. I am not talking about being beauty queen material, kind of beauty that washes off when you get in the shower. I mean the kind of beauty of a soul that <laughs> explodes all over your face and, and people perceive you as beautiful because you're beautiful from the inside out. God made us to be beautiful. He is a beautiful God. He made us in his image. And we show beauty to the world. We bring beauty into the world, into our families. That's, you know, when women start um, entering into frontier worlds, you know, like God, men will go and establish a new beachhead of, you know, in a frontier town. It's rough hewn. It's only the basics. Very, everything is very direct. When women start arriving, we bring beauty with us. You start seeing curtains at the window. You see flowers on the table. You see churches and schools 
springing up. And we bring beauty into the world, and we bring beauty into our families. And where part of the essence of masculinity is to protect and provide, the essence of femininity is to nurture and support. And um, we want to nurture and support our husbands. We want to nurture and support our children. We want to nurture and support our church. We want to nurture and support our communities. That's the glory of being feminine. And children need to see both masculinity and femininity um, in equal measure in order to see the full orbness of what it means to be human. The second rule for marriage and family is that the father is an involved leader and he's warm and affectionate toward his children. I mentioned it a minute ago, but those three A's of attention, affirmation, and affection are huge. And children really need to get those three A's from Daddy. As mothers, we generally don't have any problem just pumping those out. Um, That's just part of being a mom in many cases. But it means something completely different to receive it from a father. And it needs, a dad needs to be very intentional about giving his children attention, affirmation, and affection. With attention, it means showing up, being there in his children's lives, um, not disengaging as soon as he walks in the door, either getting on the computer or getting behind the newspaper or living on his Blackberry or his iPhone or um, hiding in some way and disengaging from his family. He needs to be fully present. There's something so incredibly powerful about the power of a father's eyes when a child looks up and sees his daddy watching him. One of my friends was, um, he's one of these emotionally sensitive types who loves to talk. And, um, And that's one of the things about these emotionally sensitive boys on this end of the spectrum. When they grow up, um, and get older, they are, um, they can communicate through the eyes, whereas other guys often prefer to communicate shoulder to shoulder. But they, well, they want to be eyeball to eyeball with people. And um, so he was, he was at a friend's house when their children were playing together, and he's deeply engaged in conversation with this other guy. And his daughter was on the trampoline, bouncing. And she's like, Daddy, watch me. And he would glance over and go, that's good, sweetie. You're looking great. And then he would turn back to his conversation, which is something I would do, you know, I'm, which is why I missed all the soccer goals because I was engaged with another soccer mom. And um, he was just giving a glance at his daughter rather than just stopping what he was doing and really just lavishing attention on her. And his friend very wisely said, if you don't pay attention to her now, she'll find another guy to pay attention to her in ways you won't like. And he's like, oh, that's wisdom, <laughs> you know. And he dropped the conversation, understanding this, this dad really understood what he was talking about. And he just sat there and watched his daughter bounce. Most dads don't have a problem with that once they realize how important their attention is to give. Um, they, children need dad's affirmation. He, they They need to know that dad believes in them, that he's proud of them, that he says, you know, way to go. And and whatever it is that they're interested in, no matter what their gifts are, their interests, that he is their number one cheerleader. Now, it's easy for us as moms to be our kids' number one cheerleader. And to some degree, they kind of expect that from us. Um, There's an incredible power in a father's affirmation when a dad is, is a big believer in whatever his kid is into. And 
if you think of children as this unwrapped gift box, God has put all these gifts and abilities and passions into, and it's our privilege to unwrap the gift box, see what's in there, and then help them develop those gifts. A dad's affirmation will go a long way in giving children the self-confidence to try whatever it is that they're gifted at and, and to find out what they're gifted at and what they're talented at. Dad's um, affirmation means the world to children. If you think of the most driven men you know, there's a really good chance that what they're really looking for is their father's affirmation. So many men, the more I learn about them, the most driven guys, they're, they're still trying to earn an I'm proud of you from their dad. Some of whom, they'll never hear that. They're, they're never going to hear, I love you, I'm proud of you, way to go, son, so glad to be your dad. They're never going to hear that, but they're constantly seeking it. Even after dad is gone, you know, that's, there's, they've, dad has left this hole in their heart for affirmation, and they're constantly trying to get it from other sources. It's an incredibly sad thing to not hear, I'm proud of you, um, and I just want you to know those are some of the most powerful words that a father can ever give to his, to his son. I am incredibly proud of my husband um, as both of us have grown in so many ways since we came to Watermark and learning to be um, transparent and authentic um, is, a, is a huge value of this church. And recently... With the intention to grow in that direction, he actually sat down with his dad, from whom he has never heard, I'm proud of you, has never heard, I love you, has never even heard the word thank you. And he said, Dad, I know that you are proud of me sometimes because I hear it from other people, but I've never heard it from you. When I wrote a book, you never acknowledged it. When I got a Ph.D., you never acknowledged it. You know, when I became president of the ministry that we're with, you never acknowledged it. You just said you were concerned and you were worried. And I've sensed just criticism coming from you. From, but, Dad, I really need to hear that you're proud of me. To come right out and ask for that is huge, huge. Healthy people ask for what they need. And he came right out and was vulnerable enough to ask, Would you, I need to hear from you that you're proud of me. I wish I could tell you that his dad said, well, I'm proud of you, but he didn't. He said nothing. And, you know, and I just, he came home and, and told me about this conversation, and I said, I'm sorry that it, it, didn't, it, it turned out that way. I'm sorry that it turned out exactly as you expected that it, to, that it did. Um, but I'm really proud of you for, for putting out there on the table what it is that you need, what it is that you want, um, because it just it made you grow as a man. And because he understands how important it is to receive that from a man he never got it from, our boys hear from their dad, I'm proud of you a lot. Um, he tells them the other really powerful affirmation, which is, You've got what it takes. Because there, there is a huge question attached to the heart of every boy and every man. Do I have what it takes? 
And as wives, please tell your husbands that. Please tell your sons that. They need to know. They've got what it takes. Um, Dad's affection needs to be both, both verbal and physical. He needs to say, I love you in many ways. One of my favorite types of affection from Dad is from a friend who is a pastor, and he says, he tells his kids every night, three boys, how in the world did I ever get so blessed as to be your dad? This is, it is the greatest pleasure and privilege in my life is to be your dad. He pours that into his sons nightly. The other thing that's very powerful to say to our children is, if I could choose all the, of all the kids in the world who to be in my family, I would choose you. That is a great thing to tell your kids. Because they're not going to arrive at that conclusion on their own. Children do not affirm themselves naturally. They de-affirm themselves. They'll come away with the negative unless we tell them the positive. Those are powerful things to say. And it's it's great for you to be able to hand this to your husband when you go home. These are are great, great words of affirmation. Um, So kids need their dad's verbal affection and they need his physical affection. Boys need to get that physical affection from dad. Rough and tumble boys need to be wrestled with dad. The, the emotionally sensitive ones don't need the, um, the rough and tumble wrestling kind of thing. They usually don't like that as much. What they really need from dad is eyeball to eyeball connection. That's what makes them feel um, physical affection. Believe it or not, and you can't hug and kiss a boy enough. A, a dad, I should say, cannot hug and kiss a boy enough. Often, um, that's something we, we've heard in our ministry at, at Living Hope a lot, is dads start pulling away from their kids and they get about, their boys are on age nine, you know, I don't want to turn my boy into a sissy. You can't do that by, by loving on him, by hugging him and kissing him and just showering love on a boy. Those boys don't struggle with gender identity because they know that their daddy loves them. And actually, let me just tell you what we hear over and over and over again from men who struggle with homosexuality is, it's not so much the sex. I just want a man to hold me. And they're, almost all of them have had disconnects from their dads in one way or another. Even if dads were there, it just didn't feel like they were connecting. When dads love on and kiss and hug their boys, um, it really nurtures a boy's heart in very powerful ways. I heard someone who was speaking at chapel at Wheaton College about um, his dad, who was a very well-known pastor and speaker. And, and back in the days before 9-11, when you were able to go to the gate at the airport and greet somebody who was literally getting off the plane, he said um, there were so many times when his dad would be coming in from a speaking engagement and the kids would be there and, and grown men would be at the gate and dad would get off the plane and they'd have their arms open and they would just grab each other this big bear hug and just stand there and rock and love each other. These two grown men loving each other physically like that. And um, when, when he was telling this story, the whole chapel burst into applause, you know, because there were so many people who realized, oh, man, what I wouldn't give for that kind of, of expression of love to and from my dad. That's just incredibly powerful. So there needs to be physical affection from dad. When dad connects 
with both of his children that way. And, and oh, by the way, let me back up. Dad needs to give that verbal affection to his girls as well. He, he needs to hear you. I love you. I'm crazy about you. Um, you're so beautiful, I'm going to have to beat the boys off with a stick. You know, those kinds of verbal affirmations and affection are very powerful. Very interesting thing we've learned in the last few years. When Daddy pulls a little girl onto his lap and he's just loving on her and hugging and kissing, the more physical affection that a girl gets from her dad, the later she will start Menarche, the later she will start her period. Um, because there's something hormonal that gets delayed, which is a good thing. We don't want kids who are eight years old getting their periods, okay? Um, there's, there's something hormonal that happens in a girl when she's receiving this, smelling the pheromones from her dad. It's, it's, it's something that he can do with, without even being aware of it. A little girl needs to have her heart filled with affection from her dad. A lot of you know, some of you may be, those girls that didn't get the physical affection from your dad, didn't get the hugs and kisses and adoration from your dad, and you, you went into puberty and into your teenage years with this daddy-shaped hole in your heart, and you were determined to get that affection from some guy. If it wasn't going to be dad, you can always find it from some guy who will be more than willing to give you physical affection you know, in the form of sex. So many women that I know um, were desperate to be touched in a way that made them feel valued and wanted, pursued and precious. If daddy had given them that, they wouldn't have needed it to, to be gotten from some teenage boy in the back of a car. Or actually these days, most people lose their virginity in their own beds in an empty house while mom and dad are at work. So... Um, Dads need to pour physical affection into their daughters' lives as well. If, when dads do that, it prevents the emotional void of a sense of intimate connection with a man and both a boy and a girl. And it's a, it's a healthy thing for dad to pour into children's lives. When dad is an involved leader and is warm and is an affectionate toward his children, um, then a boy can grow up feeling comfortable about being a male. I belong in the world of men. My dad has invited me into the world of men. Understand that masculinity is an achievement. It doesn't necessarily automatically happen because a boy's got some important tasks. He needs to attach to his dad. After that, he needs to attach to his his same-sex peers, and he also needs to pull himself away from mom. And I, I've got some bad news for you, moms. At, at around age four, your little boy is going to need to pull away from you and have a closer attachment to dad than to you because he needs to understand that he belongs in the world of men. He, is not, he does not belong in the world of women. You will always have your son's hearts, I promise. Okay, when, when we bring the video camera along the sidelines of the you know, NFL games and the, and, the, and the players see the camera, what do they say? Hi, Mom. Right. We will always have our son's hearts. But understand, it's very important. Um, we lay the foundation in those first four years of um, healthy sense of being, um, of, of who it is to be human, to be an important part of the human family. If we don't do our job, a kid can be messed up for life. But 
I mean, it's just so incredibly important those first four years. But from four years on, it's dad. He is the more important one. I know, that sounds terrible. Um, but you will always be there. They need us. They need us to nurture them and comfort them and love them, but that we really need to encourage their relationship with dad. Um, third rule for marriage and family is that the mom needs to love and nurture her family without being controlling. Girls need their moms to show them that it's a good thing to be female. It's a good and lovely gift from God. We, we model that to our girls. And then boys need us to love and respect them without smothering or overprotecting them. It's hard not to smother or overprotect our children. It just is. I know that. I am a recovering control freak. Um, I totally get this. But it's very important that we give children the ability to stand on their own. There are, there are two extremes we can take. Being controlling, being a doormat. Neither of one is healthy. We need to go for in the middle. The fourth rule for marriage and family is that the father loves the mother. A number of years ago, there used to be a bumper sticker that said, the greatest gift a father can give his children is to love their mother. That's what makes people, what makes children feel secure in their families is when daddy loves mom and mom returns the love and the adoration and the respect to dad. But it starts with the dad loving the mom. When daddy loves mom, a little girl can believe that it's safe and good to be a woman because she's watching her dad to see, what do you think about women by the way you treat my mother? And so if dad treats mom disrespectfully or abusively, what that says is it's not good to be a girl because look at the way that dad is treating my mom. When dad treats his wife with respect and cherishing, with love and affection, the little girl goes, it's a good thing to be a girl because look at the way daddy's loving mommy. Um, And a little girl comes away with believing that men can be trusted because of the way that my dad treats my mom. When a boy sees his father cherishing and protecting his mom, he sees what the glory of masculinity looks like, a man going beyond himself to love a woman and protect her and and care for her. He sees what the glory of masculine strength is, using his strength to protect and provide, not against his mother. Then a boy can believe that being a man is a good and wonderful gift from God. I love Ephesians 6.33 that talks about these major, major needs of a woman and a man for love and respect. Um, In this one verse, God tells husbands to love their wives and tells wives to respect their husbands. Interestingly, that is the primary need of women is to feel loved. The primary need of men is to feel respected. And in one nice and tidy verse, God tells each of us as husbands and wives how to best meet the needs of our spouse. When women, when when, um, moms respect a children's dad and when fathers love a children's mom it's the best gift that uh, as parents we can give to our kids and then the fifth rule for marriage and family is that the mother shows respect for the father Um, one of the best things we can do is verbally say I want to tell you what I respect about you I respect you for this and you know just as an ongoing basis it's so important that we show respect by the way we respond, the way we speak, the way we treat our husbands, and to tell them that we respect them, and to tell our children what we respect about them. 
When a mom does that, she is teaching her children that women can enjoy and celebrate men. And if you're a little girl, it shapes your view of men. I know of a number of women that feel that men are worthless, brutal pigs because of the way that their mother spoke about their father, the way their mother talked about men in general. Well, they're not going to have close, intimate, warm, loving relationships with guys and with men if they believe that men are scum. Um, and then her son learns that men deserve respect, that masculinity is a good thing because of the way that mom treats dad because he's going to come away with all kinds of beliefs about men based on how the all-important mom talks about and treats his dad. Now, I've got, uh, I'm so glad to be able to give you these handouts. I've got other comments about mothers and sons and mothers and daughters and fathers and sons and fathers and daughters, which you can read on your own. But as is typical for me, because I have so much I want to share, I brought too much information, and I need to stop here and take some Q&A. So um, you can, the takeaways from the next several slides are um, right there. You can read them on your, on your um, handouts. But Alyssa has a, uh, a microphone for you to ask questions, make comments, um, whatever you want to say at this point. And I'll do my best to, if I don't know the answer, to make one up on the spot. Because <laughs> um, uh, <coughs> our culture is so bad, and I know I personally have been horrible about this. Like, we, you know, we see, if we see any man that has any quality, like, whether he's a good dresser or he likes to decorate or, you know, or I mean anything, you know, we, if he's not like a, you know, a, a Viking brute, we joke that, oh, he's gay or he's a little light in his loafers or whatever. You know, what do you, and I'm just, I feel like I want to protect my sons from that growing up, you know, and so I don't know, like, what's the good, what would you advise as a good response to that? Because we're just going to get that in our culture all the time. I love that question. Thank you so much. Um, I would explain to your sons about the gender spectrum and then respond when comments are made, correct it. Because that's a wrong, they're saying things that are wrong. Um, think about that Bravo show, Queer Eye for the Straight Guy. Um, and, of course, all the men on that show are very, very gay. Um, and that's the kind of thing where we can say, it didn't have to be that way. Because there's not a single thing about any of those men's strengths or abilities that has anything to do with homosexuality. It has to do with the giftings of those men. Things went wrong someplace else. But to be sensitive, to be a great dresser, to be able to decorate, to be a fabulous cook in the kitchen, is, has nothing to do with sexuality. It has to do with being a human being, and the glory of God is released into that person. So what you can say is, you know, did, did you... Identify the lie, identify the false belief, and then replace it with the truth. You know, it doesn't mean that that man is gay. It means that this is the kind of man that God made him to be. Isn't that great? That God makes lots of different kinds of boys, lots of different kinds of men. And um, honestly, this whole idea of the gender spectrum, kids get it. And when, then, then they can start to explain to other kids, no, that kid isn't gay, or that, that boy isn't gay, that man isn't gay. He's just, that's the kind of, the man that God made him to be. And it's, it's incredible how much power we have to correct wrong thinking if by just one voice, one person saying, saying it and reframing things. So thank you for that question.
I can never pass up an opportunity to use a microphone. Okay, um, <laughs> let me think of something to say. Just kidding. So um, I, you know, am a woman that's a little bit more on the spectrum of being competitive, aggressive, addicted to this, not giving my kids attention. So sometimes I try to combat that. You know, I see some women that have beautifully decorated homes and crafted out with their kids all day, and it's very natural for them to play dolls with their children for hours. You know, kind of typical feminine kind of things. So what do you have to say? So sometimes I will try to become like those people that are just, it's really natural for them. And and so what do you have to say about, and then, but then I'll try to do that. Like I'll try to like make homemade stuff and I just hate it and I'm not good at it. And so, you know, and it's just kind of a flop. And then I feel bad about myself that I'm not, you know, the kind of mom that makes homemade gifts and, you know, you know what I'm trying to say. I do. So what do you have, do you have anything to kind of say about that? I mean, I feel like, well, just, I don't know. Yes, okay. I do. Okay. I'm so glad you asked, Natalie. Um, what we're talking about is that some things come naturally to some people. Um, and that's great. It means you have a little bit more of a head start. What you're talking about is learned skills that need to be worked on that will enhance your life and the lives of those around you. Somehow we've got it in our head that if it doesn't come naturally to me, then well, that's just not the way I am. You know, and I just accept myself the way I am. You know, I'm a gossip and I'm critical. That's the way I am. Deal with it. <laughs> That's not a good or biblical perspective, you know. So, in, now, we're, now we're talking about non-moral issues. But um, to look at that and say, you know what, I don't naturally do that. I'm going to have to work harder at it. But it's a worthy goal. It's something that I, it would be good for me to learn. And give yourself permission to not master it from the beginning. That's part of our problem, too, is I tried it once, and I wasn't emerald, um, so I'm just, obviously, I'm not cut out to be a cook. And so we need to give ourselves permission to learn things and to push ourselves in, in other areas and, and expand our horizons, so to speak. Um, here's the deal. You've got strengths and abilities that come naturally to you that others are looking at going, God, why can't I be like her? Well, it's because God made you you and God made her her. And so it's a matter of, of seeing those as skills that are worthy of learning and working on and not buying into the lie that if I don't have instant mastery of it right off the bat, that it, it, I, it must not, I, I must not be cut out for this. We just need to learn about it. When I was teaching calligraphy, I used to tell people, I am, I'm guaranteeing that I'm going to frustrate you because you learned to write in kindergarten, and now I'm taking you back to kindergarten because you're needing to learn to work with a brand-new pen, a new ib, nib, um, dipping into ink, making all kinds of shapes that your hands have never made before. We've got to teach your muscles new things. You're going to feel so inadequate. You're going to feel like a kindergartner. It's not going to be pleasant. It's going to be frustrating. And I promise you it'll be worth it if you stick with it. We're just not used to being put in positions where we're not 
doing good, you know, and not having to work at it. So keep on working. It's okay. Um, I had a question about, I have a little second grader who um, went to school this morning and asked his daddy on the way to school if um, he told him about this little girl he likes. And um, he asked his dad if it would be, if he thought it would be okay with his mommy if he, I guess they were kind of teasing and they were saying, you know, my my husband was encouraging him, you know, not to be afraid, be a courageous. And I'm thinking, you know, he's in second grade. I mean, I don't want him to have a girlfriend. <laughs> and um, so my husband called and he said, Marcy, would you please tell him that it's okay if he has a girlfriend because he's afraid that you're, you're not going to like it. Or, And I, I guess there is a part of me that feels like his innocence, you know, he's too young. And I know that there's little boy girl crushes in first, second grade, but I just wonder how to respond to that. And so my husband and I were getting in this heated conversation on the telephone just because I was like, Abel, he's only in second grade, you know. And he said, I know, but he just thinks you're going to, you know, not be okay with it. Or, And I I am okay with it. I just still feel like he's in second grade. So I don't know. What, what, do, you, what do you say to that? I think that um, you and your husband need to have a conversation that's not on the phone, um, you know, an extended conversation about your beliefs about things like dating. I mean, yeah, second grade, it's not too early to have these conversations because our culture pushes people to do, to push kids to do things way, way too early. And so, I mean, you need to have a discussion with him about it. He was identifying something that's really different from the girlfriend-boyfriend question, which is um, his, your son's fear that you, would not, that you would not be okay with something that he was doing. And so that's a separate issue. Um, so, you know, of course you're going to want to affirm him or whatever, but this conversation is, it needs to, you need to have this conversation with your husband about, pushing things way too early. Let me just tell you about the way that that God intends for kids to grow um, emotionally. They start out being intensely connected with mommy, and it makes sense because they're infants, they need us. Um, In their their toddler years, they intensely connect with us. Then the intention is that little boys will intensely um, connect with dad and realize, I belong in the world of men. I'm... My body is more like daddy's than mommy's, and uh, you know, and I, I'm more like him than than her. And we, they need to have that next connection. And then, um, after that, both boys and girls need to connect with same gender friends. And from four to ten, they need to have um, just a whole bunch of really intense relationships, friendships where they're exercising their attachment muscles to each other. And, and you, they do have a lot of crushes on each other. They're learning how to attach strongly, which is extremely important in order to later on have in, a, intense attachments to a husband or a wife. Um, that 4 to 10 span, um, God's intention is that for little girls, boys would be icky, and for little boys, girls would be icky, because they need to be having these connections with each other. If, if we try to normalize adult relationships, which is the dating thing of boyfriend-girlfriend, down to second grade, 
we're trying to rush things along, and he needs to be having, um, to, it is totally fine to be having lots of friends who are girls, but to even call it girlfriend or boyfriend is not wise. Hi, Sue. Hi. Okay, I'm trying to figure out what are the best conversations for dad to have with the girls versus mom. So I'll give you two scenarios that have happened in the past five days. So I have a six-and-a-half-year-old uh, girl and a three-year-old girl and then a 19-month-old boy. The girls love daddy, but the nanny and I communicate the most with one another, as you can imagine. So she called me a couple of days and said, I want to let you know I picked Reed up from school and the kids were totally like giving her a hard time because sparkles came off of her shirt and they're all over her face and her hair. And she said she feels really bad because they called her Wonder Sparkle. And I'm like, kids are just evil. Kids are so evil, you know. And so she's like, I told, I told her, you know, everything was fine. It's just they were just jealous because she looked really pretty. And she's like, no, it hurt my feelings. She said, I really think you should talk to her. And I said, oh, okay, I, I'll do that tonight. Then she called back an hour later and she said, oh, my goodness. Smith was touching my hair and she said my hair was soft and her hair was hard. And she's like, and she doesn't feel pretty now. She said, so can you talk to her about that tonight, too? And I was like, yeah, I'll talk to them both after bedtime story, all that good stuff. So something happened that night where I didn't do bath time. Daddy did bath time. And so both girls brought up their issue <laughs> with Daddy. And it actually ended up being great. He, he handled it well. And I was wondering, you know, was the nanny's assumption and my assumption that because I'm a girl and they're doing girly things and they have questions about girly things, that only mom would be able to answer as opposed to dad? Um, great question. Actually, I would have suggested that daddy would be the, the, the better one to handle that because there's something about the masculine voice that speaks truth into chaos, and particularly when it comes to gender, dads are able to affirm gender in ways that mom doesn't. And... When a little girl hears from daddy, you are beautiful, she can believe him in a way that, you know, I hope it's true when mom tells me, but when daddy tells me, I get it, I believe it. And when he can reassure her um, that she's beautiful, she is his precious princess, I adore you, um, she's going to hear that in big, strong, soul-shaking ways that that can put to rest her questions about her own femininity and being okay. I'm not exactly sure why that is. I just know that the voice of the father is incredibly important. And, and that was one of the things that you see in your handout later on. It's so important for dad to tell his daughter she's beautiful and use the B word. Because pretty is not as powerful as beautiful. Looking good does not cut it. Cute is not powerful. Beautiful is powerful. And um, for, for him to reassure her, she's going to receive it in ways that have it's just gotten more gravitas, more weight than, than yours would. Um, you know, yes, you need to say the same things to her, but when Daddy says it to her, she can really receive it. So it worked out great that, that you know, he was able to do that. Tell him... There's such power in when a dad takes his hands and wraps them around a little girl's face, okay, and gets eyeball to eyeball with her and says, you are beautiful. 
It goes straight to her heart in ways. Let me just tell you, when I said that, there are some of you that just kind of went like this inside because you never got that from your dad, and you would love that. As a matter of fact, that was a father wound that I had to deal with because I never got that from my dad. I never believed that I was beautiful because I never heard it. And, and so when I took that to the Lord and said, Father, I, I never heard that I was beautiful from my dad, as you know. And he took my face in his hands and he said, I made you. I only know how to make beautiful things. And you are beautiful. That's what I received from God. It healed the father wound in me. Which wouldn't have been there if my daddy had said, Sue, you are beautiful. So I just want to encourage you to have your husband get in there and 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 encourage your daughters that way. Sue, could you expound on what you said about four-year-olds needing to attach to dad as far as what does that really look like for a mom? Because I'm still home with my son who's four, Mm -hmm. so we're still going to have a relationship and play games. You're never not going to have a relationship with him at all. Yeah, I'm so glad you asked about that. Um, you're going to continue to do the same things that you're doing. What you need to do with a little boy starting around age four is to really push him toward dad and um, encourage him to connect with his dad and encourage dad to connect with him and to do dad and son things together, particularly along the lines of of your son's design and giftings. So if son is not the get out and go hunting and fishing kind of guy, if he wants to go to the art museum and dad's like, I'm allergic to art museums, um, then you explain to him, but you're the adult. (laughs) And God gave us this boy who is interested in art. I mean, I have one of those. And, um, And he wants to know that it's okay to be the way he is because his dad believes in him. You can set your own preferences aside and go pursue a relationship with your dad. When, you know, so you, you push your son toward, you know, why don't you ask, ask dad that, those types of things. And, you know, encourage them to go off and do things, just the two of them. Let me just give you an example. Um, one of the guys at Living Hope told us that the absolute highlight of his entire growing up years was the one day that his dad said, hey, I have to go to Home Depot. Why don't you come with me? Now, a a dad never asks his little boy to go with him. Actually, he was 12 at this time. He never asks him to go with him because he needs to go with him. He's inviting him to just come along for the journey. And he was thrilled that his dad invited him to do something. And he said, I spent the rest of my years in that home looking for another invitation to spend time with my dad, and it never came. So the highlight of your life was a trip to Home Depot? I mean, how incredibly sad is that? But, you know, inviting him into, let's go for a walk, let's, you know, mom needs milk from the store, let's go, come with me, buddy, come on. You know, just that kind of thing. He needs to understand how important it is for fathers and sons to have time together. You know, they don't have to be having deep conversations. Simply being together is really powerful.